Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. To begin today's program, here are two great questions to ask yourself. One, have I discovered the very best version of myself and am I living it today? And two, do I have in mind a crystal clear vision of my ideal future, and am I pursuing a solid game plan that will allow me to accomplish my dreams? You know, despite 20 or more years of adult living, regrettably for so many of us at middle age, the answer to both of these questions is no. No, we have not taken time and effort uh, needed to inventory our strengths, capabilities, and inclinations. Therefore, we have no way of knowing whether we're even close to living up to our potential. And no, most of us have, at best, only a hazy vision of our ideal future. And without a crystal clear vision of where we want to go, how in the heck are we to develop and launch a solid action plan to get there? But spring is the ideal season for midlife renewal. And my first guests today, Roe and Don Polzinski, Jr., are here to suggest an ideal solution to our dilemma. Take an inner selfie. You know, social media is packed full of selfies, which for uh, the totally uninformed are photos which individuals take of themselves. (laughs) That's a real... Interesting definition, isn't it? Uh, From the president to the pope to ordinary folks like you and me, we all love selfies because they're fun, quick, and attention-getting. And Roy and Don are here to explain a deeper form of selfie that they call the inner selfie. And as they'll explain in a few moments, this is a unique way of looking at your life that lets you grasp both your true potential and ultimately create your ideal future. But first, let me tell you a bit about Roy and Don Polsinski, Jr. Roy and Don are a married couple who who together have just released the inspirational book, Changing Your Equation, Moving Toward Your Ideal Future. And Roy has lived the pages in her book in her pursuit of an MBA degree, launching her consulting firm, R&D Advisory Group, LLC, and uh, the giving nature of her mission to be fairy godmother to others. I love that. And Don is an insurance agency CFO, but personifies the phrase, a changed man. He uh, used to be inwardly focused in his early years, but now he focuses upon helping others to clarify and enhance their lives. And I can certainly relate to that because I was once an insurance company CFO, but I have nothing to do with that anymore. Hello, Rohit Don. It's indeed a pleasure to have you both on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Oh, thank you so very much. It's great to be speaking with you today. Roy, thank you for the invite. Well, as an inspiration to the rest of us, can you briefly describe the conversation that you mentioned in the introduction to your book, the conversation you had on the beach that inspired the two of you to uh, write your book? I really enjoyed that uh, dialogue <laughs> well, you had. Thank you. We, we've been married 
we've been together actually 18 almost 19 years we're going to celebrate our 16th year together this year and we are uh, full disclosure i'm 48 and don is 50 so we are definitely definitely can relate to the audience of this of your show and the mission you're serving by helping everyone and the uniqueness about our relationship is we've always strived to dream together goals and just things to do from the earliest days of dating 18 19 years ago we always had to-do lists and things and through the years we stopped calling it a bucket list because we're not (laughs) going to worry about kicking the bucket and that's when we decided to call it a dream list yes and that's something from the early days of when we were dating we were always trying to to really clarify what would our future be like together you know, that's, that's so great important. What's the destination? That as a couple, because I think so few, you know, so many couples, each one lives in their own dreams and doesn't really share enough with the other so that you dream together like that. I really like that. And that was what surprised us. We thought we were common, that all couples or the majority of couples would dream together and create a shared vision. And the longer we've been together and the more people we've talked to, the more we realized that's not common. And, and <laughs> thank you for appreciating that, Roy, because it's so true. What happens is when we were forming those early lists, one of Don's things, his life lifelong goal was to go to the Indy 500. Oh. And instead of not wanting him to do that, I started watching IndyCar. It became so much fun for us. And in 2012, we went to the Indy 500. We actually had a package where we were on the starting grid. We kissed the bricks. It was an amazing joint (laughs) experience. (laughs) (laughs) No, not during the race. But we were on the grid when they called the drivers to the cars. And it was such an amazing experience to share. It was his life goal. I had such an ownership myself in it, not only because I was enjoying it, but to yeah. see my mate's dreams fulfilled. Yeah. It, it, this is just how we've always lived our life. So to take that one step further, we're on the beach. We're talking about what goals we have, what have we accomplished, and we always yeah. have this running dream list. Oh, and um, not all goals are material. It's not all about money. Yeah, but we were talking, and literally, he, I asked him, "Okay, when what what do we accomplish next? When do we get to that next level of achievement?" And he said, "Well, if we don't change anything, we might not get there." And people who know me know what, what my uh, next answer was, which is, "I can't accept that." <laughs> <laughs> and people shouldn't accept that. That's part of the message is don't accept yeah. that you can't have what you want regardless of the age. Yeah. I like where you talked about the two choices. You, you, you said either we could stay on the present path and accept the fact we won't accomplish many of our goals, or we mm-hmm. can alter our path to allow us to obtain more of the components. <laughs> and like that, that is so it's basic. You know, nothing else, change doesn't come about unless you make it happen yourself. You have to put yourself into motion, and you have to make change. Otherwise, you're going to continue down the same path you're on. And you're going to say, someday, someday, someday. In fact, we did a video on our YouTube channel, and if they search for Rowan Don Polzinski, you'll find it. And it's about stop saying someday. Make someday today. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's that's the kind of thing I talk about. If only, <laughs> you know, yeah, if only see, this happened, or, or when. <laughs> yes. When I my saw red that. uncle dies and leaves us a bunch of money, and, you know that. Kind of thing. <laughs> Life is not guaranteed like that. So get out there, and through the book we talk about that and how we people put up their own self-imposed roadblocks. Oh, yes. oh I'm too old. I can't possibly go to school. Well, I got my MBA yeah. at forty. You can do it. And I can't, I can't do this. Well, I have too many bills. Well, stop. What do you do? A personal budget. What are you spending your money on? Find out what's causing you to say I can't and turn it into I can. Yeah, I love how you uh, you relay that you drew a line in the sand we and did. both of you crossed over the line together. I like that. We did. People probably <laughs> no. thought we were crazy, <laughs> but we were so inspired and we were so into the moment. It was actually Don's idea. So we were walking and you finished the story, babe. Yeah, we have not looked back. From that moment, we started talking about writing this book and creating oh, that equation of how to help others reach their ideal future. Yeah, that's, that's you know, when you feel good about uh, yourself and where you're going, you really want to help others do the same thing. That That's the true feeling of worth that uh, you gain, not just by doing it for yourself, but doing it for others. And that comes into being a fairy godmother. And, you know, Don and I, we always laugh about it. He is a fairy godfather. There's not too much out there about fairy godfathers. But it is true. The more we help others, it, at first it started about our dream day and turning our goals, but this has changed our equation. Yeah, it and, does. And now it's about helping others. Yeah. Well, in your book, how do you define the term ideal future? Is it possible for any of us to achieve the ideal? Isn't some trade-off necessary in every person's life? I mean, uh, you can shoot for it, but does anyone ever get there to that ideal? I guess, well, I guess it all depends on your definition. But uh, it, it does, and we say it's evolving. Our ideal future today is far different than what we thought it was 18, 19 years ago when oh, we yeah, first met and started be. dating. It's got to be if you're stuck on one particular uh, goal and you don't meet it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And your life then freezes. And <laughs> it so it, it really is about maximizing your full potential. You know, we all have this great potential, but how much are we going to accomplish of that in our lifetime? Yeah. And if we are simultaneously reaching, you know, our fullest potential, we are also at the same time minimizing our regret. Yeah, and, that's true. And to just speak to that really, really quickly, one of the things that was always, from the time I was a little girl, I loved horses. I rode horses. I, I rode for 25 years. Mm. This was a big deal in my life, and I'm going to own yeah. a horse, I'm going to own a horse. Well, that was my ideal future back then. Yeah. But now, as much as I love them and I miss riding, yeah. there's so much more life has to offer. I don't <laughs> regret leaving that behind. I've yeah. changed my vision. Yeah. Well, then, you know, obviously, if you just had a vision and you reached the vision of this ideal future and you just froze it there, there wouldn't be much left to strive for in life. So it should always be evolving. If you accomplish one thing, obviously you should be looking at uh, something else. And, and that's, that's our really that that's how we personally live. In in looking at the inner selfie, taking the picture of yourself, your talents, your personalities, your yeah. interests, your unique abilities is 
focusing on what makes you complete, what you're good at, and what will bring you the most fulfillment as you continue to grow and change. The book is really about personal leadership, and we always say the first person you lead is yourself. Yeah, and most people. CEO of you, you're not likely to be a good CEO of anyone else. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And actually, that's something I say. And I I do a lot of business and management trainings, and I do executive and management coachings and mentorings. And I tell them, you cannot be a good business leader if you are first not a personal leader. No, doesn't go. Sure. And People if you're just dependent it. on others' opinion of you to uh, define who you are, you're not going to lead somebody else that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. I think the irony is when we think about the world now, of, of there's billions and billions of selfies uh, you know, yeah. taken each year, posted on the Internet. You know, yeah. it, it, that is such an external view. We've become so fascinated by the external. Yeah. And we have forgotten to look inside of us, the internal perspective where the real value lies. <laughs> exactly. That's well said. Mm-hmm. And people will ask us, all right, you guys are still happy, and pretty much as we're talking to you is how we live our life. We're usually laughing and joking around. There's oh, extremely great. rarely, extremely rare that there's ever a disagreement because we know how to talk it through because we use our inner selfies. We yeah, know that I'm actually the extrovert, he's the introvert. We both have high drive. We both have pretty good competition levels. And we can balance it and talk about it. And I'll say, look, I need my extrovert side needs to feel this. I need to come to grips with my feelings. And he accepts that. You know, isn't that person. great that first you know you each know who you are. You've done your own inner selfies, but then you've shared with each other and you've uh, yeah. recognized your partner's personality and uh, strengths and uh, inclinations and everything. That, that's a wonderful uh, relationship you have there. I, I love that. I envy that. <laughs> Thank you. You've captured the most uh, important points. First, you have to understand yourself. You can't lead yourself well yeah. if you don't yeah. underso- understand yourself well. And most people really don't understand their true makeup. And second, yeah. your second point is, is spot on. Once you understand yourself, then Try to understand those that are closest to you, and that can only enhance your relationship. And that's that's, both in personal and in business. So if you have a supervisor you've never gotten along with or a team member that you struggle with, try to think about what is their perspective, what drives them, what are their talents, their interests, their unique abilities, what's not meshing between us. Yeah, that's such a unique talent that so few people have in business. You know, when they mm -hmm. work for somebody they don't like, it's always in terms of how it hurts inside and uh, how they don't understand you. And you never really, so few people try to really understand where their boss is coming from or why there's that tension or how we can bridge that gap. And And it's never too late. And it's true whether it be in business or in personal lives, all relationships, you know, we, we look at the life through our own filter, and we seldom think about that everybody else's filters are different from our own. And yeah. we really have to remind ourselves that when we yeah. see blue, somebody else might be seeing green, and we have to take that into consideration. 
It'd be nice if politicians would take that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we can't even go there. (laughs) Well, to me, it kind of seems like the chicken and the egg. Which should come first, a clear vision of the ideal future or an inner selfie that lets us grasp our personality and natural tendencies, talents, and interests? Uh, Do we do that together? They kind of all go together, I guess. It does. We like to do. We we like to start with the dream day, and so what we've done is on our website, changingyouroequation.com. Anybody can go and download a free dream day guide. It's a planning guide, and we take people through how we conduct our dream day, questions they can ask themselves to get them in that mindset, and it's a great starting point for this whole process. And And how would somebody go about getting that dream day? So, again, just go www.changingyouroequation, all one word, dot com, and you'll see a big yellow banner that says Free Dream Day Planning Guide. Just click oh, on I that see. and follow the instructions. That sounds easy enough. Even I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get down to where the rubber meets the road. So many of us suffer a remarkable tendency to misunderstand and deceive ourselves. And usually we underestimate ourselves, a lot of people do. Yes. A few overestimate themselves also, but uh, <laughs> a lot of the misunderstanding may go back to uh, misconceptions uh, that were implanted perhaps unintentionally when we were children, when they say, you can't do that, or, you know, you, mm-hmm. we, we, our family never achieves this and that and uh, whatever. How best can we overcome and break free from these often negative misconceptions so we can really appreciate our value and begin uh, living up to our potential. How do we go about tearing those down? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And you're right. Oftentimes we may have misconceptions about ourselves. Oftentimes they are negative. The answer to that is really we're, we're not the best person to judge ourselves. We need to get the input from others. We need, we need close friends. We need mentors and coaches. We need to get outside perspective. Yeah. And but so that's we kind were, of scary, too, because, you know, if you're not really self-confident in yourself, you're afraid somebody else is going to make some offensive comment about you and you'll feel worse. Well, it, you can have that mindset. And I do do one-on-one coaches, coaching and mentoring. And I'll go through this with people. And it's like, no, nope, be brave. Be confident. Everyone is unique. And instead of focusing on our weaknesses, I'm never going to be an opera singer, or I'm never going to be a world-class painter or artist. Yeah. That's not my that's not my unique talent. I people need to stop beating themselves up on yeah. those weaknesses. Stop trying to be like everyone else. Take those inner selfies, and as Don said, reach out to those people who are closest to you and ask, you know, what what do you see as my best talent? Yeah, and I think anyone that uh, really you're close to is not going to, you're probably going to be pleasantly surprised by uh, their opinion. Exactly. You will probably be higher than your opinion of yourself in most cases, with a few Absolutely. exceptions. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it really is true. <laughs> I told a story in the book where I have a career coach, and and early on, I I was worried about feedback, and, you know, potentially negative feedback, and I was yeah. defensive. Yeah. And uh, you know, over time, I quickly learned to drop my defenses. That with good constructive criticism 
is a real value. I will pay people to give me constructive criticism. If you really want to reach your full potential, then good constructive criticism Mm -hmm. is a real value to you. I've had my coaching clients tell me, oh, coming to talk to me is like going to the principal's office. But you make them feel good after. So they'll say, oh, I dread talking to you, but you always make me feel good after, even though we might have had those card conversations. Well, let's talk a bit about your book, Changing Your Equation. How do, you, how do you come up with that title? What exactly do you mean by changing our equation? It stuck right from the beginning, from when we were on that beach, knowing that the end result was always going to be the same yeah. unless we changed. And I looked at Don as the conversation went and said, you mean like an equation? Yeah. And I'm not a math major. Believe me, I am not. The, he's a math talent. Yeah, I'm not. But I am. <laughs> but unless so we you change re- the equation, you're obviously not going to keep getting the same answer. <laughs> right, exactly. So then over the course of many months, we we discussed and did some research and discussed some more and figured out those three elements that make up an equation. And those are yeah. your life elements, your realities, and then your change agents. Yeah. Well, if there was one message you would like a reader to take away from your book, what would it be? I mean, there's loads of messages, but what one would... uh... For me, I'll I'll, uh, put out there that so many of the roadblocks, when we look at what's standing between us today and our ideal future, a lot of it is self-created. Those roadblocks that we see, we built them, and we can tear them down. Yeah. And mine is along the same ways. Believe in yourself. You are, everyone is a really unique individual. There are great things about everyone. Stop beating yourself up and enjoy life. Yeah, I love in the Bible where Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. But so many people ignore the as yourself part. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, they do. And it's not being egotistical. We've actually recently we've been meeting with people and having these conversations. It's okay to self-promote. If it's something you're truly good at, go ahead. Yeah, so long as you're promoting reality rather than yes, fantasy. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's where we start with the selfie, uh, the, the inner selfie, to know who we really are and certainly promote that. But uh, well, where best should we go to uh, preview and purchase your book? The book is available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, on iTunes. But if you go, again, go right to changingyourequation.com. Yeah. There's links to follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, to buy oh, the book. It's really the best way to track us. Okay, that sounds great, changingyourequation.com. <laughs> One conclusion that in middle age, a lot of us are simply trudging through life without a clear ultimate destination in mind no ideal future, and to compound the problem, we may be caught up in a sea of negativity and a lack of self-confidence, most likely going all the way back to childhood. And as my guests Roy and Don Falzinski Jr. put it, uh, you may be in need of an inner selfie, a thorough introspection of your, an examination of your inherent talents, values, and aspirations. You may also need to set firm, ambitious, yet realistic goals for yourself, then make plans and launch actions to accomplish them. And there's no reason to have dreams and not do anything to uh, fulfill them. And as my guest so aptly put it, there is no reason any person, including yourself, should have to live without hope. So let's stop doing that. And thank you so much, Rowan Don, for your uh, inspirational advice and best of success on that new book. 
Thank you. Thank you. you. Truly, thank you. Well, with our hectic lifestyles and tons of commitment, you and I know it's uh, it's easy to become overwhelmed with fear and worry. Like me, how many times has this thought crossed your mind? Wouldn't it be great to be a kid again? But as any conscientious parent or grandparent knows, our kids these days have worries too. And these worries may begin at a very young age and continue right on through middle school, high school, and even into young adulthood. And one of the primary fears so many kids have, perhaps including your own, is the fear of taking tests. And that fear may begin uh, with your state's common core exams administered to young kids, even in uh, grade school, about third grade and uh, very early. And many students dislike the test-taking, and that dislike continues all through middle school and high school. In fact, it can... uh, impact our self-confidence right up until when we're adults, I'm afraid. But my next guest, concerned teacher and education expert, Heather Arabagis, is here with ways to make sure your kid doesn't become a victim of testing anxiety. And Heather Arabagis is a dedicated teacher in the New York City public school system, has been for the past 14 years. She loves working with and inspiring children as she puts it, more than anything in the world. And in addition to speaking to groups of children and conducting workshops uh, for educators and uh, for children, she has created the character Monster Moss and and has written a series of children's books. And the second book in the series is the one we'll concentrate on today, Monster Moss versus the Test, to help students cope with fear of taking tests and give them concrete strategies to excel on any test. And hello, Heather. Welcome to our program. Hi. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, before beginning, let me say that I watched a couple of the videos on your website, and I only wish that both I and my children had had you as a teacher back when we were in grade school. You were very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, before we go into detail on strategy, tell us a bit about these common core state exams, because I don't recall having taken these as a kid, or if I did, I don't remember much about them. What are these things? So basically, when we were younger, we we took standardized exams, but there wasn't as much uh, pressure in doing well. It's just Basically, kind of like what you know. It wasn't like you were going to fail the grade. Yeah. Um, and then Common Core came along because, you know, a lot of students weren't um, ready for college. So yeah. it, all, it, it all started from that concept. So they were, you know, they were graduating, if they were graduating high school, depending on, you know, what area you're from. Yeah. Um, they weren't ready. They weren't able to write essays. They weren't able to comprehend uh, different types of texts and things of that nature. So they started with that thought, and then they started saying, okay, what do kids need or what do students need in order for them to be ready for college? Yeah. And so then that started the whole process of, okay, they need this. Okay, where does that come from? So they started trickling it down all the way, you know, to kindergarten. <laughs> they take tests in kindergarten now? Yeah, well, <laughs> well, the, the Common Core curriculum yeah. starts in kindergarten. So oh, wow. 
basically, you know, it's just basically a, a set of standards that teachers yeah. have to, you know, create lessons around. Well, what's the um, consequence, say, for a third grader if they, uh, quote, fail this exam or aren't up to standards? Do they have to repeat the grade, or what happens then if, uh, if they fail the test? So when, when Common Core first came out, that was a promotional criteria uh, where oh, if you failed the exam, you'd have to retake, you'd have, in New York City at least, you'd have yeah. to go to uh, summer school and oh, then retake, and retake the exam again. Yeah. But because, you know, the exams were too hard, yeah. um, you know, they were like one to two grade levels above, you know, a student's <laughs> reading level. Um <laughs> They basically took that away and said that, you know, teachers needed to keep portfolios for each kid. Oh, great. So, obviously, it actually put more work on the teachers because, yeah. um, you know, that that would be their criteria for passing if they failed yeah. the exam. Yeah. Yeah, I know the teachers were uh, felt like they were under the gun for those tests, but, uh, no, I can see why there'd be so much pressure on kids, but... Uh, from your experience in teaching and monitoring young, uh, mentoring young students, what's the youngest age that you see and in, in grade level when kids start worrying about taking a test? At what age should we parents and grandparents uh, begin uh, thinking about stress and helping them alleviate fear? So usually, like in second grade, um, oh. some teachers will start like towards the end of the year, yeah. um, you know, maybe talking about the test, uh, they can give practice exams. Oh, I see. Um, depending on how, you know, the school, how, you know, how strict the school is, there are some schools that, you know, they pride themselves on uh, great testing grades. Like a lot of these charter schools, if you go on their websites, they'll, like, have great um, scores for yeah. their kids. And then you would think that that's a great charter school because even though the standards are raised, look at their scores. <laughs> And compared to, like, New York City public schools, they beat them. Yeah. So those types of schools might might start in the second grade, and then, you know, in the third grade, then they have this test. So yeah. I would say, you know, to prepare them early, like just letting them know that in my book, in my story, Monster Moss versus the Test, yeah. um, you know, I have a testing instructor called Ranger Rutherford, and he basically... <laughs> teaches kids that tests are everywhere. Tests oh, are part of your life. Your cars yeah. get tests. Like, once yeah. you start realizing that tests, is, you know, that they're a part of our lives, yeah. um, then, you know, kids can understand why they have to take them uh, yeah. and then prepare themselves because it's no, all about... No, I guess, you know, it's good, obviously, to, for the kids to understand that they are going to have to take and pass tests throughout their lives. It's not mm -hmm. something you can ignore whether you like it or not, but... Uh, that's yeah. a good message to give the kids. But uh, well, as parents, all of us want our offspring, little kids, preteens, and teenagers, to excel in school and in life. In your opinion, do a lot of us parents place too much pressure on our students? Uh, parents, well, depending on what grade level they're in, because yeah. a lot of parents are opting their children out of the state exams. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I, I definitely can understand why because they really don't, you know, common core tests, they're, they're not really, there's no really handle on it because they oh, just, yeah. you know, they try to give out electronic tests 
just yesterday. And, you know, a, a bunch of these tests were, you know, some third graders got fourth grade exams. So even though the, the, the test is like one to two grade levels above, imagine a third grader having a fourth grade exam that one of the passages in it might be, uh, you know, end of fifth grade or sixth grade level. Oh, so they're probably, you know, they already have like a bad taste in their mouths about, about the Common Core exam. Yeah, I can see why. That would really aid so, me. It's, so I understand why, you know, why parents are opting them out because, yeah. you know, they don't make any sense. They're not fully corrected. They're making, you know, they're trying to make strides in that. But honestly, before they started giving out these tests, I think that they should have done mock exams and yeah. done, you know, give kids incentives for taking the exam if they wanted to and then do a focus group with that so they can yeah. get the exams right and not put these kids under tremendous stress and, you know, you know, and then roll out the program. Yeah, you know? there's nothing We're like ready. giving a kid a test that's two grades ahead of where he's supposed to be or she's supposed to be and then uh, affect their self-confidence through the rest of their schooling that just doesn't make any sense to me at all but the well they would the whole test wouldn't be like two grades level grade levels oh, above but okay. they'll put a passage in there yeah. to see you know who's like an overachiever yeah. you know yeah. um yeah. and then they'll put passages on their grade level so they're all different types of reading passages well let's get down to where the rubber meets the road can you give us a few inside tips that we can pass on to our kids or our grandkids who are about to take a Common Core exam, say in third grade or sixth grade, uh, what are a few tips for uh, acing the test or doing well on the test? I know you get into that, and I know Monster Mass uh, has some ideas on that or comes up with some. Yeah. So, well, one thing is, like, having a plan. I mean, and this is important for high school, too, because I work a lot with high school students. And... You know, kids aren't allowed to opt out of their high school exams. So, no. you know, when younger when younger kids opt out and then when they go to high school and, and they can't, it's sending, like, a different message to kids. So I'd like to tell parents to at least explain to them, you know, that, that they are going to have to take tests and that they can't opt out of them. Yeah. Because, you know, kids, kids are very literal. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's just having a plan whether it's the high school regents exams in New York City or yeah. these common core exams, uh, you know, b- simple ones for the young kids is, you know, n- well, now the test is untimed for um, common oh, core. That's good. Um, but then it's timed in high school. So they're like oh. two different ballparks. So I don't know which one. You you know, I have really great tips for, for high school students. Um if you want those, or I yeah, think let's talk about high school students because a lot yeah. of us, you know, in our forties and fifties, have kids in high school or getting up there. Yeah, so this one, because they're timed, the tests are timed, and yeah. they are Common Core, you know, Regents exams, yeah. and they have to pass at a minimum, at least in New York City, a minimum of five. Oh, they have right. to pass one of the maths, uh, one of the sciences. The English, U.S. history, and global history. So there's oh, no getting around that. If they don't yeah. pass that, they're not graduating. Oh wow! Yes. So one thing that I, um, the, you know, is for the high school students is to have a plan because it yeah. is a time test. They're usually three hours long, yeah. unless they unless the student has modifications. Yeah. And you know, basically, 
playing on to your strengths. Uh, that's, uh, you know, I have a blog with many, many details. Uh, oh, it's, called, it's on my website, and it's called When It's Too Late to Study, which gives, like, you know, perfect examples for kids, you know. Oh, yeah, it's like, it's basically learning how to take the exam, tricks, of taking the exam, but if it's a if it's um, if it's a timed exam, so learning which parts are worth more yeah. because those are the parts you want to spend more time on. And I'm yeah, you don't want to waste example. all your time on one exam, one part of the exam, and then miss out on a part that you probably know a lot of the answers to that you're real good at. Not not not, not even that you know the answers to. Like let's say the global history and the U.S. history regents exam. Yeah. There's three parts. There's multiple choice, then there's a thematic essay, and then there's a document-based question essay. Oh. Um, where you have to ask, first you have to answer um, document-based questions, and then you form it into an essay. Now the first portion, multiple choice, is worth 50 points. Yeah. The se- the second portion, which is the thematic essay, is worth is worth fifteen points, oh. and the last one is worth a th- about thirty five percent of oh. the test. Right. So now, what happens is the order of the exam follows multiple choice, thematic essay, DBQ. Yeah. A lot of kids spend time on the thematic essay, and the thematic essay is very hard for kids because that's where they have to recall information. So yeah. it might be an essay about foreign policy. Yeah. And so they have to think of, you know, presidents that, you know, you know have dealt with uh, foreign policy, yeah. and they have a block. Oh, and yeah. guess what happens? They stay on that for, like, a long time trying yeah. to figure it out. And that's only worth about fifteen percent of the grade. Yeah, and then when they get to the document, obviously. (laughs) Then when they get to the document-based questions, they can get the most points on that. Basically, I trained. I work with high school students. I've trained them. You know, they 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 are they weren't performing well in class. Um, and I've trained them to do the first part, which is the multiple choice part. With many tricks. And I like how you tell uh, It's such a good idea. There's a couple of answers, usually in most multiple choice, that are obviously wrong. So you just cross those out and <laughs> narrow it down to two and then make your choice between yeah. those two and not worry about the other ones. <laughs> yeah, but it's 50%. And then, then skip the second one, do the yeah. document-based question essay, and yeah. then if they have time... Yeah. Go to the thematic essay. Do you know that these students do not even do the thematic essay? Oh, wow. They skip the part completely because oh. they, I tell them to focus most of their time on the document-based question essay, and yeah. they pass with 76, 77. Yeah. You know, like, how important that is for them to know? So yeah. it's basically creating a plan. Which parts of the test are worth the most points? What are yeah. your strengths? And what are your weaknesses? And plan yeah. based on that. That makes so much sense. Well, let's mm-hmm. turn to a challenge common among high school juniors and seniors that uh, plan to go to college, and that's anxiety over the SAT and ACT college entrance exams. Uh, I'm afraid your monster mass books are a bit young for our team. Mm-hmm. What advice do you offer to high school students who are taking those uh, college entrance exams? So... Uh, the same, the same type of advice. You need a plan. There's, there's, yeah. there's a formulation for these. Um, there's a configuration for the point scale on these, on, on these exams. I so, 
This is very hard because teachers in the school, they're not trained to, to uh, teach these tests, nor is, nor is it part of the curriculum. Yeah. So I highly recommend taking a course uh, because, I mean, it says they are available. They might yeah. be expensive. They might have grants, just finding yeah. out about them. Yeah. I would definitely invest the money into taking a course because what happens is if they do well on the exams and they have nice grades that go with it, you will end up saving money in the long run. How? Yeah. But with scholarships. Yeah, that's that's for sure. They, uh, scholarships are such a crucial element, too, in, that, uh, in those entrance exams. Well, over the next, uh, next few moments, let's talk a little bit about your Monster Mass Children's book series. And uh, the, fir- uh, the second book is the one we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. But you have two other books. The first one is uh, what that's about, anger management and controlling temper. Is that... Uh, yeah, and bullying. And bullying. Yeah, bullying. Mm-hmm. And what's the, th- the third one's interesting uh, for last fall, especially when uh, we had the uh-huh. election going on, is it? So my books, like, they they all focus on rising issues. As you, the second one deals with testing anxiety. It, um, you know, it deals with how to handle testing anxiety and to understand what it is. The third book that you asked me about deals with political education for kids because yeah. there isn't, a, you know, a specific curriculum for it. Um, no. They're adding it in. But, you know, basically it's teachers coming up with the curriculum because there's, like, no books, no political books um, that I've seen in schools that teach these concepts. But kids are really interested in this. And as a teacher, when kids are interested in something, we, we teach it to them. Yeah, and well, they only have a limited amount of education about politics and government in a course called Participation in Government in high school, which is in the yeah. 12th grade. Yeah. And that's not enough time. Like, kids are 17, yeah. they're going to be 18, then they yeah. can vote. Like, that's not enough time to get them interested in, you know, being part of society and the changes no, that they true. can make in their community. Kids can make changes now and that yeah. starts locally. So my book is just the it just opens a door for kids from great you know, I, I wanna start it at grade four. Yeah. Okay, I was going to ask you that. The mm-hmm. ideal grade level for a, a targeted uh, Monster Mass reader then is uh, about oh. fourth grade, is it? <laughs> no, not all the books. The first book, oh. Monster Mass, like, you know, since it's a series, I, I want kids to grow with the books. Oh, I So see. the first series can be done in, you know, pre-K to oh, wow. fourth grade, yeah. um, you know, because parents could read the books to the kids uh, and then discuss their discussion pieces. So if you're reading about bullying, you're going to say, well, how does the character feel? And, you know, what? how does the character deal with it? Yeah. You can also go on my website and you could get extension activities. So they're really like discussion pieces for parents. And then teachers use them as well because then they have a lot of activities. Yeah, what is that web address that uh, people need to go to, to to preview and purchase your books? I know you have a a website yeah. on there. Yeah, so it's www.monstermaz, which is spelled M-A-S, dot com. Yeah. And then also the books are on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. 
Yeah, it's, it's easy to find. And it's just basically monster mass without the H. It would be monster yeah, mash. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's monstermass.com. And I'm also, I just, you know, I just received um, all my books, just is a, are a proud recipient of the Mom's Choice Award. Oh, that's wonderful. So, you know, that I'm very excited about that, that I got yeah. that recognition. Well, as I'm certain we'll all agree, young childhood right up through high school should be a mostly carefree time of joy, adventure, and willing expansion of young minds. In today's ever-fast-paced, compressed, and demanding society, we may mm-hmm. need to help our uh, offspring to have that kind of experience and a joyful growing up and learning. And as both you and I know, there will be plenty of time for fear and anxiety as mm-hmm. we're, as adults. And uh, at any time, nine times out of ten, test anxiety not only will make our child miserable before, during, even after an exam, it also may contribute to poor test results. And above all, we need to convince our offspring, young and old, that your score on an upcoming test is important, but low scores will not permanently destroy your life or limit your options forever going forward. It's not a life or death experience. And life inevitably offers second chances, and very likely College B will accept you if College A turns you down. And if, uh, you know, one opportunity doesn't come through something else will and uh, i think that the this monster mass versus the test or or all three of the books actually could be an ideal gift for your son or daughter or for your grandson or granddaughter or friends children and check it out on monstermass.com and uh, thank you so much heather abergis pardon me for the pronunciation for the most informative interview and best of success on your mission uh, for the children of America. I think it's great what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 